0: Greetings, my fellow Freeman Love Sovereign Thinkers. Thank you for tuning in to LL3 podcast. My name is Cray, transmitting from the beautiful realm of the planet Earth. Today's date is Thursday, January 6th, 2022. It's episode 1467, entitled January 6th and the Enabling Act, so called insurrection. Before I proceed, you can listen to me on Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Deezer, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Jailson, Anchor, Breaker, Podbean, Reason, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Hit that like button and share it everywhere. Plus, I'm on multiple social media sites. Just type in Loki Luck number three or three Eyes," which is Roman number three. In addition, I'm on Telegram. Just type in Loki Luck Roman number three podcast. If you want to donate, go to paypal.me or cash.app forward slash loki luck number three. Of course, I'm going to try other areas as well. And just to let you folks know, too, I'm going to try to fix that little tweak from Spreaker. And so I enhance all my shows and possibly Podbean as well. So I know I try to transfer some of the material. So Right now I'm on the Anchor site, so bear with me. <laughs> hey, solution, find me on there too if you can. I'd be greatly appreciated. So a lot of folks out there, of course, the mainstream media news, all talking about the insurrection, they're asking governors questions. Do you believe this occurred on January 6th? And some people may get offended by it because they're getting so much brainwashed from the so-called mainstream media. And what really gets me since still people still buy like Joe Biden won the election fair and square. And it doesn't matter who you support it. It's always been a question since this whole electronic balloting has occurred as a solution from the 2000 elections between Bush and Gore, which they think alike and smell the same. And now look what's occurring. I'm huh, not surprised at all because I warned this to a lot of my friends and colleagues. 20 years ago is going to be very dangerous when you use high technology and so forth. And furthermore, I've been hearing all the clowns on the on the um, TV and the video clips talking about the insurrection and all that the drama. And to be very frank, I haven't really heard the latest from these political bobbleheads, what I call them. But I can tell you this. It was done by design, was, and the people that made it a reality were citizen journalists. Brought the raw data down. Not from the drama queens, I, even I was watching uh, C-SPAN during that time, last year. and What was occurring, and a friend of mine called me up, told me the same thing, I'm like, yep. Done by design, provocateurs, agent provocateurs were involved, regardless where they came from, they're all hired guns one way or the other. And many people say, oh, I was there, and the Trump supporters, I'm like, don't matter. And that's why, in my view, it was uh, done by design, inside job, some, and some good folks are still in there, in jail, and, haven't got their, and some of them haven't gotten their uh, trials yet. But many have as well. So, to be very frank, I'm going to be talking about this and some of the history of insurrections that occurred in the United States and before. So this is what's going to start off here. Written by Jason Jacob G. Hornberger. This one's here from the Future and free, uh, Freedom Foundation, fff.org. January 6 and the Enabling Act. This is what Mr. Hornberg has to say. Hornberger has to say. Ever since the January 6 protest got out of control, the mainstream press and the Democratic Party establishment have done everything they can to milk it for all its worth. The one-year anniversary today of that event continues that trend. Just look at the front pages of the mainstream press, and you'll see what I mean. Make no no mistake about it. The statists are going to use this event as a way to further destroy the rights and liberties of the American people. It's clearly not enough that they've already destroyed, I hope I got the correct most of our rights and liberties, with their beloved welfare warfare states. Their Cold War antics, their drug war, their war on immigrants, their regulatory state, their war on terrorism antics, their Federal Reserve inflationary antics, and their COVID-19 lockdowns and mandates. Not, no, all of that destruction of our rights and liberties has clearly not been enough for these people. Now they want to use the January 6th Capitol protest to continue and maybe even complete the process. Of course there is precedent for this sort of thing, which undoubtedly it is not lost on these people. That precedent occurred in Nazi Germany. Nineteen thirty three, the terrorist firebomb of the Reichstag. The terrorists were suspected of being communists. Germany's Chancellor Adolf Hitler went ballistic and demanded that the Reichstag gave him extraordinary emergency powers to deal with the big twin threat now facing Germany. That big twin threat consisted of communism and terrorism, both of which ironically became the U.S. National Security Establishment's big boogeyman during the Cold War and then the post-Cold War era. There was one big difference, though, between the Reichstag fire and the January 6th protests in the Capitol. The Reichstag terrorists actually attempted to inflict massive damage on the Reichstag. The January 6th protesters had no such intention. Oh yes, I know that mainstream press continues to describe the January 6th protest as a deadly insurrection. But only a person who kills one of the protesters. Her name was Ashley Babbitt. She was shot to death by a Capitol policeman who got scared. She was not armed, she posed no de- deadly threat to the cop or anyone else. In fact, he could have fired over his head as a warning for her to back off when she undoubtedly would have done. Instead, he directly fired at her and killed her because he was scared. That's why the mainstream press describes the protest as a deadly insurrection. If the protesters had intended to inflict death and massive damage, they would have gone into the Capitol with AR 15s and other high powered weaponry. They were fully capable of doing that. Many of them were military veterans. Of course, if they had done that, we would all know what the result would have been. Think Waco and Ruby Ridge, followed by U.S. Patriot Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5. But the January 6th protesters. Did take, didn't take high-powered weapons into the Capitol and begin killing people. They didn't even start a fire inside the Capitol. At most, they committed some acts of vandalism. The entire event was nothing more than a protest that got out of control. That is reflected by the criminal charges and criminal prosecutions that have been brought by the Justice Department. But hey, why let a good crisis go to waste, right? Certainly Hitler didn't. He got those temporary emergency powers which he never relinquished. It is obvious that the American statists who have already destroyed most of our rights and liberties are not going to rest until they complete the process. That's why they will continue continue milking the January 6th protest for everything they're worth. And I have to agree, exploitation to the core drama queen rhetoric, rhetoric? propaganda 101 because I, I, I could attest what Mr. Hornberger has to say because many people in there went in peacefully actually taking um, selfies with DC police and not destroy anything there's some vandalism, yeah. I can could, I could, I could agree. But like I said before, my friends, it was an inside job. The insurrection was done internally. But it was getting obvious. The soft coup been happening for a very long time. We can look at the study of the history of what has occurred. because I'll give you a couple of footnotes on here about insurrections. And some of the sources I may not agree with, I'll be very fair, but many of it, there is merit to what has been um, addressed. And we're going to hit here from grunge.com, this is by Thomas Brown, this is on the 19th of January 2021, it says here, it's the title, Americans, insurrections, and rebellions you never heard of. In the first week of 2021, a riot in Washington, D.C. violently erupted into the Capitol building. See, there's a lot of drama here. The world recalled as what they called an insurrection or coup d'etat to file one of the most hollow buildings in this country. And the people's representatives fled and hid for safety. While the many objectives one could use to describe what happened that day, atrocious, treasonous, appalling, moronic, there are many, many, there are many more. However, un-presidents shouldn't really be one of them. Not only the streets of D.C. and halls of Congress not unused used to violence, American history is, repleted, is replete with violent uprisings, bloody coups, and revolutionary attempts. In 1983, leftist revolutionaries exploded bombs at military bases, as well as the United States Senate. Ha <laughs> insurrection, right? I remember reading about this. Some of it sometimes it's easy to forget our past, so here are here are some of the American rebellions and insurrections you haven't heard. We can go with this. America was brimming with revolutions way before the revolution. The American Revolution didn't just happen. It's probable that only one only reason it is known as the Revolution is that it was successful. In fact, there were many unsuccessful revolutions, rebellions, uprisings, risings and insurrections before the one the, the one everyone knows about. People American, America had been rebelling against colonial and local authorities long before they actually became Americans. Often for many of some of the grievances ultimately cited in the Declaration of Independence. Exactly 100 years before the revolution a young man named Nathaniel Bacon Raised a thousand men against Virginia's governor, who was also his cousin, and what, according to the National Park Service, was probably one of the most confusing yet intriguing chapters in Jamestown history. This was swiftly followed by an uprising in North Carolina the next year about trade laws and import duties. Then, two years in 1763, Pontiac's rebellion what the Washington Library calls an unprecedented pan-Indian resistance to European colonization in, in North America in which 14 indigenous nations challenged the attempts by the British Empire to impose its will. Wrecked havoc on settlers. Over 500 people were killed. An anti-Indian settlement sentiment grew. And that was like during the French-Indian War, as I recall. So, um yeah. So, little... History here. Shay's Rebellion helped create the Constitution. The American uh, War for Independence was in, sm- in so small degrees about finances, no taxation, without representation. And all that, even before they had declared, let alone achieve independence, the American states had to borrow money to fund their war against the crown. As early as 1775, a cash strap Continental Congress accepted loans from France, says the US, U.S. State Department Office of the Historian, and paying off these other debts incurred during the Revolution proved one of the major challenges of the post-independence period. The infant United States of America, a new country, with a brand new of government, was actually pretty weak. The Articles of Confederation grant the U.S. Central Government very little power, especially to collect taxes. This left the nation unable to pay off their foreign debts, but the real problem was that the army and state militia veterans who fought in the war felt like they should be paid for it. It all came to a head in Massachusetts, as the Washington Library describes. When these disgruntled former soldiers led a violent uprising against debt collection, but these problems were widespread through the states. The Massachusetts Governor raised an army of militiamen led by the Revolutionary War Veterans and funded by private businessmen. when the insurgents tried to take an armory, the militia fired, and four men dead died. The incident heightened, highlighted the, the deed, the need for a change in government, and a constitutional convention was called, which is led by the Constitution used today and of course, the guy here, the state of Muscogee was a free Indian nation led by an Englishman. William Augustus Bowles was born in Maryland in 1763. One moment here. Alright, cool. And fought the Revolutionary War for Britain when he was just 15. He, he was dismissed from the army according to the William Augustus Bowles um, Bowles Museum when he, when he forcibly insulted a senior officer. Now stranded in Florida, Bowles went to live with the Creek Indians. Here he adopted their customs, says the Florida Historical Quarterly, learned their language, married a daughter of one of the chiefs, and through his this connection became a chief in his own right. Bowles never entirely forsook the crown and joined the British military on several occasions in fighting the Spanish claim on Florida. At the time, Florida was a constant struggle between Spanish, British, and American dominance. Bowles was um, tasked to arm the creek arm the to fight the Spanish-Americans, but was captured and imprisoned. The Spanish kept moving him, and by the time Bowles made it back to Florida, he had been inside cells in Spain, Cuba, and even the Philippines before escaping via Africa. Back with his Creek family in Florida, Bowles agitated for the creation of an independent Indian nation. He called for a Congress of Seminole and Lower Creek Chiefs, who, according to the the Florida Historical Quarterly, elected him Director General of the state of Muskogee. Muskogee declared war on Spain, but Bowles was quickly recaptured, and the state of Muskogee dissipated quickly. A preaching slave led America's most successful slave rebellion. Back in eighteen, in the eighteen hundred, born a slave in eighteen hundred, Nat Turner would have significant impact on U.S. history. Little wonder, according to escaped slave and historian William Wells Brown, since Turner's mother taught him that he was born a, uh, born for a prophet, a preacher, and a deliver deliverer for his race. It was not strange that the child should have like Napoleon regarded himself as being of of destiny. In fact, Turner did become a preacher and claimed to have received divine visions his whole life. Turner had no faith in conjuring fortune-telling or dreams and always spoke with contempt of such things, said Wells Brown, but according to PBS, a vision appeared after he had ran away instructing him to, re- to return to the service of the my earthly master. A revelation from the spirit when he was 28 years old told him to prepare for signs and arise and prepare him, myself and slay my enemies with their own weapons. Three years later, Turner interpreted a series of atmospheric phenomenon as the signs he was waiting for. With some trusted fellow slaves he planned his attack And in mid-August of 1831, Turner and his group murdered as many white people as they could find. After four days, at least 55 white people were dead, but the insurrection was over as well. The same number of slaves were executed. Turner himself was hanged and then skinned. A wave of anti-black violence left at least 200 dead as well. Yeah, sometimes, based on that, article based on this um segment you don't if you go after a certain group collectively that's not good you always got to like choose the right battles and something like this this attorney may, may have um mis- got himself mistaken so the fact but the truth of the matter is in this area He tried to do what he believed was right. So continue on here. In 1847, Mexicans wanted the U.S. out of New Mexico. What would become the, the U.S. state of New Mexico was Spanish territory for centuries until Mexican independence in 1820. The weak Mexican government had difficulty governing its huge territory though, as local governors with little oversight were notoriously corrupt. As with the case with the governor of the state of Nueva, Mexico, as Indian Country Today describes, enabled illegal land seizures for himself and his partners. The U.S. Army seized what would become New Mexico from actual Mexico during the first few months of the Mexican-American War. In true uh, Manifest Destiny fashion, the Army claimed it as a U.S. territory and installed a civilian governor just six months later. All the ill would boil over as a resistance to the Americans resulted in a revolt on january nineteenth eighteen forty seven as men from Taos and Santa Cruz execute the governor, many of his business associates and many of his business associates there is incidents known as the Taos revolt, but as a former new york New Mexico sorry state historian. Robert Torres told the Taos News, these weren't the citizens rebelling against a legitimate government. What happened was more of a beginning of a resistance. Resistance or revolt, it was quickly quashed by a volunteer of army riflemen on horses and with howlser cannons. The rebels barricaded themselves in the Preble Church along with many women and children, in which most of them died after a fiery bombardment by the American Volunteer army. Racist, the racist white league overthrew the Louisiana government. After the devastation of the Civil War, America embarked on Reconstruction, which was basically a military occupation of the once rebel states. American laws, had to be enforced in the former Confederacy, and its defeated leaders prevented from reserting power, meaning a political reorganization of the Southern states. And there, were, there was pushback. In 1874, a group of Confederate veterans in Louisiana created the White League while the Ku Klux Klan terrorized freed slaves. The White League's stated purpose, as the Zen Education Project explains, was the extermination of the carpetbag element and re- restoration of white supremacy. I don't know about that. If that's what I'm saying. As always, Howard Zinn. People say he has Marxist view, communist views. So I can't really jump to the conclusion, but a lot of stuff happened during that time. So you gotta look at, so out of fairness, you gotta look at all sides and go a little further too, what I'm narrating here. All right? Carpetbagger was um, a pejorative for Northerners who worked in the government in the South. So the League attacked the government. After the Reconstruction government had blocked a delivery of weapons to the White League, says New Orleans Historical, they demanded the governor resigned. He refused and the Battle of Liberty Place erupted in the streets of New Orleans, killing at least 35 people and leaving the White League in control of the city for three days. They uh, blockaded the governor instead inside of a federal building and installed a more racist friendly governor. When the Federal troops finally arrived and the League surrendered quietly, New Orleans would later erect a monument to the Battle of Liberty Place, what the annual ceremonies explains New Orleans' historical such commemorations continued, depicting the White right Leaguers as heroes and martyrs. The monument was finally removed in 2017. So, um, I think sometimes when they take away the history of these statues, you know, I just find it a little bit disturbing. Because We've well, we got to look at the ramifications of cause and effect. And what happened while all these states seceded the first it was six, then it became 13, because they see the contract was being um, violated by the federal government. Well, Abraham Lincoln, he wasn't really a uh, beautiful president what people try to pre- teach us. So that's why I always got to look at these elements, these angles. And the fact is this, those southern states start their own federation, the Confederate States of America. So if the whole thing was done legitimately, agree with it or not, but a federal intervention made it a reality. So I would make, recommend folks to just go study this, this times, at least 30, 30 years, 35, 30 years before that. It's real complex, that's why I'm not, I don't go around bashing people with the Virginia battle flag or supporting, taking down statues of Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson. I really do oppose it because a lot of folks, you got to really read what they've done. And the disheartening thing, many of the commanders from both sides were friends and they fought together, they served and fought together before this se- horrific separation. I'll we'll continue on here. Here's another one. A racist coup replaced North Carolina's government. The tactics of the KKK and the strategy of the White League came to head 20 years later in 1898. In Wilmington, North Carolina, according to Zen Education Project, another one, Howard Zinn knows best, right? The city was remarkably integrated. Three out of um, ten aldermen were African Americans, and black people worked as policemen, firemen, and the city's Republican Reconstruction government. The local Democratic Party recruited race, white, racist white journalists to stir people up and organize a gang of Ku Klux Klan wannabes called the Red Shirts to harass and intimidate black voters, leading up to that year's state elections. The whole country knew about it, too, according to the investigative journalist and author of The Wilmington's Lie, David Zucina. Reporters around the nation called it the race war in the Carolinas. White mobs roamed Wilmington while the red shirts intimidated black voters and the most widely covered yet thoroughly ignored feat of election fraud imaginable. Democrats took the election, this was the state election, no municipal seats were up, and the city remained in Republican, black control. Two days after the election, a former Confederate colonel led the mob through town and burned the black newspaper to the ground. During an organized race riot, black leaders were jailed for their own safety and then forcibly marched to the train stations under military escort in what is often called the only successful d'etat in U.S. history. Reconstruction had firmly ended in Wilmington. Let's check the one here. Oklahoma's Green Corn Rebellion was crushed quickly. In the early 20th century, tenant farmers in southeast Oklahoma was being abused by corrupt legislators, greedy banks, and unscrupulous landlords. Entire families spent entire days in the field to pay back that the insanely high-interest loans they were forced to take, and says historian Nigel Anthony Stellars. Husbands and older sons had to work in the wheat harvest in western Oklahoma and Kansas or take seasonal oil fields or mining jobs to make ends meet. For surely unrelated reasons, the Oklahoma Socialist Party was was a fairly powerful presence in state politics at the time, Popular among farmers. However, according to the University of Nebraska's Great Plains Encyclopedia, some tenants grew frustrated with with the political process and turned to night riding or to direct action techniques. When the country entered the world, under the World War I, and the draft loomed over their heads, many farmers turned to the Working Class Union, WCU, a secret socialist organization that vowed to destroy capitalism as well as resistance in the military draft for World War I so the Smithsonian. At the beginning of August, the rebels began sabotaging telegraph, telegraph lines and destroying bridges for a planned march on the Capitol to force the president to end the war. Because they were Oklahomans, they planned to live on barbecue beef and roasted green corn. But the rebellion got its name on the way. They never made it out of the state and three men died. The Battle of Athens was led by veterans for fair elections. Corruption and fraud were rampant in Athens, Tennessee in the 1940s. The Sheriff's Department would invent reasons to arrest people so they could pocket the fines and city officials were honest about their openness to bribery. It's probable they had that they had all been voted out multiple times, but the police and politicians controlled the elections too. After World War II, returning veterans the separation pay in their pockets were welcomed by a sheriff with a fictional crime and a fine. In 1946, a multi-partisan group of veterans formed the GI ticket, says political. and their slogan was simple but powerful, your vote will be counted as cast. The city government continued to do business as usual, and on election day the Battle of Athens began. It was a common practice, according to NBC FAR officials, for officials, to take the ballot boxes to the jail and stuff them with pre-marked ballots. Anywhere from 50-250 veterans lay siege to the city jail for a full day. They finally used dynamite to dislodge the crooked cops and candidates inside the jail. Tennessee was not the only corrupt state at the time, and the Battle of Athens, Tennessee, was inspirational for the reform for reform all throughout the region in the post-war years. Auburn professor Jennifer Brooks told NBC across the South, veterans launched insurgent campaigns to oust local political machines. And I did I did a show on that last I think last year. I think it's called um I think I called uh. Battle of Athens, Tennessee, 5.0. A Little history about what happened with election fraud. This is, this is you know, they're still talking about the controversies, what happened on 2020. So I brought that to light. And if you, you could go there, hit my archive on Spreaker. I do have it there. It's very powerful. The San Juan Revolt happened all over Puerto Rico. Since being claimed by the Spanish Empire 500 years ago, Puerto Rico has never been an independent nation. After the United States acquired the islands during the Spanish-American War, Puerto Ricans became U.S. citizens, but the legal status of Puerto Rico itself has remained ambiguous. According to the last two referendums, the majority of Puerto Ricans want to officially join the U.S. as a state, but there are many who don't. In fact, there's a strong nationalist streak in Puerto Rican politics. A streak that manifested an outright violent insurrection in the 1950s. The nationalist cause was basically illegal under the pro-American governor who, as a New Yorker described, did everything from summarily executing prisoners to establish a secret police force and even banning the Puerto Rican flag. Violence erupted constantly until finally an outright rebellion in which several towns were seized and proclaimed the Free Republic of Puerto Rico, until they were pounded by field field artillery and um, strafed from the air, but the cause wasn't over yet. That same year, Puerto Rican nationalists tried to kill President Harry Truman. In 1954, four members of the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party entered the public gallery of the U.S. House and Chambers, and according to... Congressional al- al- archives, the indiscriminately open <clears throat> fired onto the House floor and unfurled a Puerto Rican flag in a violent act of protest. Nobody was killed, but five congressmen were wounded. And I am uh, talk about this here. I talked about this in my past episode on the American Indian movement. Seizes Wounded Knee. I just talk about Wounded Knee here. So it was like, it was like before New Year, like the, before the New Year's Eve. Considering oh, the. Um, Latinity Latin of Injustice's visit upon Native Americans over the last 500 years. The American Indian Movement is extremely young found, extremely young, founded just over 50 years ago, according to Minnesota Post, or Post by grassroots activists, Minneapolis. AIM first sought to improve conditions for recently urbanized Native Americans. The organization grew, quickly grew in, in scope and size, earning a reputation for direct action techniques. AIM advocated for all the issues facing the Native American communities, from law enforcement to healthcare to housing to appearing on the national scene when they occupied their Bureau of Indian Affairs building for almost a week. In 1973, the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, a conflict. Was boiling over among a Oglala Lakota tribe over the controversial tribal chairman, according to the authors of *Red Power: The American Indian Fight for Freedom* via the uh, National. Sorry about that, National um. Library of Medicine was viewed as a corrupt puppet of the U.S. government by some segments of the tribe. AIM was invited to help tribal members who reported harassment from the chairman's supporters, Dakota Forces, bolstered by AIM volunteers, armed themselves and seized the town of Wounded Knee. The site of a hideous slaughter some eighty years before. Nearly a thousand, a thousand federal agents surrounded and laid siege to the town for seventy-one days. Alt- ultimately nobody was convicted of anything over Wounded Knee, but two Native Americans were killed, and the chairman ended up staying in charge. That's some of the stuff that happened, and this is and um, there's examples of uprises and insurrections, and it's very disheartening indeed. And I know there's some stuff here. The History Channel did one here. There's you couple of six uprises, violent uprises in the United States. I'm not gonna go through them all, but I'm just like looking through here. I, I'll do a few. Yeah, I'll do a. Yeah, I'll do a few here. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do a few. It was two, three, and four. Because um, the stuff that on the grunge already talked about it. So this is what this number two has to say from the History Channel's website. It says here the New York City draft riots. Only 10 days after the Union victory in the Battle of Gettysburg, New York City became an embroiled in the largest popular insurrection in American history. The incident began on the morning of July 13, 1863, when hundreds of young men poured into the streets to protest the federal draft lottery. New York was deeply divided over the Civil War and mainly viewed the conscription law, which excluded blacks and allowed wealthy men to buy their way out for serving $300 as a blatant civil rights violation. And you can say $300 then is like 30,000 today. The demonstration quickly turned violent when the mob stormed the draft office and beat the city's police superintendent to a bloody pulp. As protesters' ranks swelled with army malcontents, the men marched through Manhattan and began ransacking and burning the homes and offices of prominent draft supporters and other wealthy elites. The bedlam will continue. For four days, as rioters looted businesses, torched buildings, and brawled with police and National Guardsmen from behind makeshift barricades. Convinced that free blacks were a threat to their livelihood, rioters also beat and lynched several black men, demolished the homes of others, and even set um, a black children's orphanage ablaze. Finally, on June 16th, That looks like they screwed up there. It's actually July 17th. Some 4,000 federal troops marched into the city and put the uprising down by force. While the draft would resume only a few months later, the riots still left a devastating mark on New York. All told claimed the lives of more than 100 people and caused millions of dollars in property damage. And I can say, I, I read about this now I was like nine, 10 years old, believe it or not. I, I read stuff, stuff in the encyclopedia and um, read some of the books during the Civil War. I don't know what to call it Civil War, but at the school libraries, elementary school libraries to be exact. And it was very disturbing indeed. And that's why a lot of them say using racial epithets, by saying, we're not gonna fight a Negro's War, but that's more derogatory. And even if you read the book The Real Lincoln, written by Thomas De, De Lorenzo, he, brought, he talked about that with all facts. And if you ever watch that movie, Gangs of New York, even though it was a fictional novel, but it was based on historical facts, including the draft riots. And even in, the movie, even in that movie, those historical facts. When they separate the men and women from Ireland, they had the men sign in and become instant citizens, and then they the Union Army. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. That's pretty sick, I would say. This is why, when it comes to government, my friends, I am never lovey-dovey. This is what I say here on, on the Battle of Blair Mountain. In 1921, Winding Hills of southwest West Virginia played a host to the largest and bloodiest labor dispute in American history. At the time, the coal-rich region operated under the thumb of two powerful mining interests who employed thuggish private detectives to harass any workers who tried to unionize. Tensions boiled over in August 1921 after the company's agents assassinated a pro-union lawman named Sid Hatfield. In response, as many as 15,000 miners, many of them World War II, vet, World War I veterans, armed themselves and set off to confront the coal tycoons and organize their own fellow, organize their fellow workers. When they approached Blair Mountain in Logan County, the army of miners clashed with force of around 3,000 defenders marshaled by an anti-union sheriff named Don Shafin. As the miners advanced up the mountain, they were met punishing rifle and machine gun fire. The Chaffin forces even use a small air force of biplanes to drop explosives and tear gas. The battle raged for several days before federal peacekeeping troops finally arrived on the scene, at which point the most of the exhausted miners returned to their homes or surrendered. By then, over a million rounds had been fired and an unknown number of men estimated from the range of 20 to more than 100 have been killed. The miners defeated the rail union activity in the region for over a decade and some 1,000 workers were later charged with crime between conspiracy, murder, and treason. We'll go here for number 4 it that'll be the last one. The Richmond Bread Riots. By its third year, the Civil War had taken a bitter toll on the Confederacy civilian population. With their supply lines choked off and inflation soaring, many southern cities erupted in mass revolts. The largest of these bread riots unfolded in the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia, on April 2, 1863. A group of armed men, half-starved women, descended on the state capital and demanded to speak to Governor John Letcher. When Letcher shrugged off their concerns, the hoop-skirted mob marched down on one of the city's major thoroughfares commandeering several supply carts and began violently ransacking warehouses for food. The rioters' numbers quickly grew into thousands as more desperate men and women took to the streets, many of them chanting bread or blood. Ignoring the protests of city officials, they broke down the doors of private businesses and supply houses and made off with food, clothing, jewelry, and other valuables. According to some accounts, Confederate President Jefferson Davis even addressed the crowd, tossing coins at rioters and pleading, you say you are hungry and have no money, here is all I have. The riot finally ended after the city's public guard arrived and threatened to fire on the crowd. Some 60 members of the mob were arrested and the city would later place artillery pieces in the Richmond's business district as a warning against future uprisings. Well, these are examples of insurrections, violent ones. We can go on and on and on in parts of the world. So we'll just give you some examples, what has happened. Some were justifiable, others were not. It just varies. They even had the food riots in Philadelphia during, The War of Independence. Because money they used was was fiat and everything would inflate it. So when you hear the news right now, talking about the January 6th was an insurrection. Laugh at them. And show, show me the facts. I got mine. You let them know that. Well. That will be it. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Plus, feel free to download and share us throughout your social media network. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, on issues you check out, whatever you do, please hit the corresponding at Sponsor Furthermore, I'll leave the footnotes of these articles on my page. And if you want to contact me, you go to look luck Number 3 at ProTelmail.com. If you want to donate, you can hit me at paypal.me or cash.app forward slash Number 3 If you want to support the sites I did my narrations on, do it be pretty cool. Always liked uh, um, Future of Freedom Foundation um, Freedom Foundation FFF Excuse me, I got the hiccups here. Always got good articles. Check them out, man. Always uh, appreciate the content. So, you should do the same. Once again, thank you for your time. Plus, always remember that the maniac resistance is healthy for the soul and can liberate humanity. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Keep on spreading the love and may your guardian spirits be with you.